You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson. We head back into the vaults here in the Cardinal Sports Center studio to rewatch another classic Texas Tech game. This time, Nick Schimanek and the Red Raiders host Arizona State, future Big 12 brethren, potentially, right here in Lubbock in a rematch from the year before. Uh, they showed Kalen Bellage. Just right off the bat, seven touchdowns in 2015. I think he actually had eight. I think he caught one as well. On 13 carries. Yeah, 137 yards, 13 carries, seven rushing touchdowns. Pretty incredible. Cardinals Sports Center, you can get geared up for cheap, get you some brand new shoes at the sidewalk sale. It starts on the 6th. If you're watching this on the 6th, if you're watching it tonight on the 5th, the sidewalk sale, the biggest one ever, they say, goes from the 6th through the 9th here in July. So get over there to Cardinals Sports Center. If you're not in Lubbock, as always, shop at Cardinals on Cardinals, mycardinalsports.com. Kyle, there's the ad read. I meant to tell you right before we started recording, I'm going to have to at some point dip out for like 30 to 60 seconds. Okay. So I know you're capable of doing some solo radio uh, so anyway, that may be abrupt, or maybe I can give you a heads up, but I'm sure you'll handle it with a plum like you always do. They might not even notice they're on the uh, rewatch. Maybe not. On the uh, the audio-only rewatch. You know what I remember about this game before it kicks off? What? This was a – it was a night game to begin with, but then there was a weather delay like right before it was supposed to start. And so I sought shelter – across the street at Chili's with my then fiance, now wife. And I felt a little bit bad because it was kind of, it was like, Hey, I think it might rain. And we get to Chili's and it was like crack of thunder, thunderstorm. And so like everybody's trying to get inside Chili's and it was packed. Uh, and I'm just like chilling in the booth, you know? Uh, Cause I'm like, we have at least an hour now until they kick off. So I think by the time we actually got going here, it was, I don't know, 8.39 local time. Like, it was a late game. That's uh, even more to the the body clock of Arizona State there. I did not expect to uh, win this game, I don't believe. I was not very high on this uh, Nick Shimanek-led team. Um, I don't know why. We, we were six or seven point favorites in this game, and I think it was a push, if I recall correctly. Even though you probably should have blown them out, if I recall correctly and I, I guess we'll see here but I remember I actually saw that number and I was like oh we're gonna we're gonna destroy them and it was trending that way but then I think it pushed unless there was maybe a bad beat at the end but I think you win this game by six or seven and that was maybe you could get the line you know one point different earlier in the week but it was for all intents and purposes a push that's a uh, that's a pretty good crowd yeah for the weather delay Lots of white. I guess this must have been a celebrate cotton game. Yeah, and this was also weird. 
you see at the bottom there, Arizona State 1-1, one and one, Tech 1-0. One and oh. This was the weird schedule where you had Eastern Washington and then a bye week. And you tried to get, I think it was Kansas State to come play you and rework the conference schedule, and they didn't want to because they also had a bye or like an FCS or something. So, anyway, you had a strange early September bye week and kind of a weird wait for this game. But um, So you were one game behind Arizona State in terms of in-season experience. Do you remember the preseason hype for Nick Shimanek? Where they said uh, a lot of local prognosticators were saying that he would run the offense better than Patrick Mahomes because he would be inside the bounds of the offense. Yes, it was the same people who thought that Patrick Mahomes declared for the draft too early because he needed to stay and develop. And as good of a quarterback coach as Cliff is, I think Patrick made the right career move. Uh, I thought that at the time, and I certainly think that with the benefit of five or six years hindsight. But yeah, and I'm going to say, Rob, I think we're kind of going down the same path with Tyree Wilson. Maybe not as explicitly, but people are like, oh, yeah, like, well, we got some other dudes at that defensive end spot. That's true. But Tyree Wilson was a top 10 draft pick. And so you might have good guys behind him, but unless you have a first rounder, it's like there's going to be some level of drop off. Right. And that's that's a position that doesn't have as much impact on the game as quarterback. But, yeah, I remember hearing that at the time. I was like, guys, y'all don't realize it yet, but we just watched like one of the most talented football players of all time come through here his replacement is not going to be the same. But I also think Nick Shimanek had a better season than we give him credit for six years later. And so he went from overhyped to underappreciated. And I think he was right in that middle where he he had a good season. He was never going to live up to Mahomes, but he also wasn't some huge flop like some people kind of treat him today. I, th- I thought he was a, a good quarterback. Was there a penalty there? What happened? I wasn't paying attention because I was rambling. Sorry, I think we missed a play uh, on the on the rebroadcast. It, it looked like we stopped him short, and then they gave it to him anyways. Do you know who Arizona State's defensive coordinator is tonight? Billy Napier. How about that? Billy Napier, offensive coordinator. I did not remember that. Um, no, I thought he was defensive guy too. Keith Patterson was defensive coordinator. Oh, oh, yeah. That's true. And uh, they gave up a lot of points that year. I, you know, <laughs> they did. Keith Patterson gave up a lot of points everywhere he was, but I thought he was really good for Texas Tech uh, in spurts. Yeah, I, I think overall you could say that the defense improved under Patterson here. And especially that last season, it was weird because Texas and TCU, and maybe to a lesser extent Oklahoma, smoked you. But besides those three games, you were in all of them. You know, like the defense kept you in all of those games. And the problem was on the other side of the ball. Uh, but yeah, kind of weird up and downs. Like if you looked at, if you just showed me highlights from TCU in Texas that last year with Keith Patterson, you'd think, oh my God, our defense was horrible. But all the other games really, I mean, they they were decent, I guess. I mean, they, they were good enough to win more games than they did. Well, you look at the games you won, Baylor, West Virginia, the, they all scored less than 30 to allow you to win because your offense really wasn't that electric either. David Gibbs. I would take Keith Patterson over David Gibbs any day. Yeah. Billy Napier. Man, I never never realized that. Uh, Mr. Root is shaming me for not being at the Lubbock Matadors game tonight. 
I went to all of them uh, except for tonight. So if they lose, it's my fault. Yeah, and I mean, the Matadors, number one team in the country right now. I think they've got their playoff spot locked up. I think they've got home field locked up. And so they're almost too good because, you know, it's like being Alabama in college football. It's like, well, we know late November we're going to the playoff anyway, so who cares? They do. They are. Uh, they already won the regular season. It's wrapped up. Yeah. Doesn't matter what happens in the last two games. So Arizona State scores a field goal. I've got some K Ford numbers for you if you want to run through them today. Yeah, I think this episode will be a little bit of a hodgepodge. So we can do that whenever you're ready. Uh, do you want to? Do you want to get baseball out of the way early? Yeah, let's do some baseball and basketball first because we do have some official. Uh, news since we recorded last. Yeah, so on our podcast on Sunday night, I think we actually might have accidentally jumped the gun a little bit talking about something that at the time was only on Red Raider Sports behind a paywall, and we attributed it to them, but try to we try to not really delve into anything like that until it's public. Uh, it was on the Mason Molina transfer portal news uh, that was first reported there by, by Justin Apodaca. And now that is official. It was reported by Kendall Rogers today, D1 Baseball. Uh, the rumor is Arkansas. Again, that was what was uh, texted to us on Saturday, I guess, and then also reported on Red Raider Sports on Sunday. Makes you wonder, because that's where Hudson White went. And I've seen some other onlookers, like, what is going on at Texas Tech? How are they losing all these guys? I think some of our other portal portal names were not huge losses and they weren't expected to be big contributors but Hudson White and Mason Molina if they wind up at the same school it'll make me certainly question if there was some tampering going on or if not like by the book definition of tampering at least something a little bit shady um and he's not 100% gone I mean we always had that caveat but I don't know why Mason Molina of all guys like a guy who definitely has a spot next year who's going to be your ace next year if he comes back why he would go into the portal unless this is like he felt like he wasn't being taken seriously for NIL leverage or something. So he did this, but I'm assuming he's gone. And if it does wind up being Arkansas, I think that is a little bit shady. It's not a little bit shady, Kyle. It's very shady. And uh, it is absolutely tampering if that is the case. Now, does that mean there's a classic Nick Shimanek throw out of bounds there? We're running like the triple option there with Nisby and Stockton and a quarterback that doesn't have wheels. What are we doing, Cliff? Uh, that one that one was still in the playbook from Patrick. You got you to burn that one. We didn't run that much more uh, this season. Oh, man, that was awesome. Um, but, yeah, I, I think if he, if he does go to Arkansas, it's, it's absolutely Hudson White got him there. And if he just wants to, to play with him, his old battery mate and – and they're going to be together and they're besties and they want to be roommates still, whatever it is fine. Um, I am still bullish on the red Raiders, but Mason Molina hurts a lot more than Brendan Gurton and Hudson white. Now you do have four in the portal that are top 300 portal guys, according to D one baseball, that looks bad on paper, but um, if you're just straight up looking at impact, what is Hudson White going to be next year if he had stayed at Texas Tech? And what is um, what was Brendan Gurton going to be if he stayed at Texas Tech? Was he going to be a bullpen arm? Was he going to try to start again? 
Is he going to go back to his role the year previous? Um, those guys are just so unsettled. And then Mason Molina was going to be your day one ace. So yeah. that's what hurts. He is the biggest loss. Yeah, so that stinks. And I uh, – well, I, yeah, we'll see what happens with it. But I honestly more than anything wanted to bring that up to make sure that it didn't come across on Sunday like we were trying to break news there that we we don't really break news – I think every now and then we get a hint at something before it's public, but we don't ever. Anyway, so we'll see what happens with baseball, and and I won't I won't rule out that you add some dudes in the portal. Like you're not some bum baseball program either. Like there's going to be a good pitcher from another staff that wants to come to Texas Tech. I'm sure. Would I rather have Mason Molina over just about anybody else? Yeah, but I don't think you're just some in some hopeless position. You know, you're you're going to lose guys to the portal. You're going to add guys in the portal. I don't agree with people that say in the last few years you've gotten more from the portal than you've lost. Maybe Gavin Cash changes my mind on that, but people are like, well, you know, you got Easton Morrell. It's like, okay, well, Mason Molina statistically is like one of the better pitchers who's ever come through here. And as good as Easton Morrell was, like there's nine position players and one ace. And so I think Molina's individual value is probably higher than just about anybody else's. So, yeah, you get guys in the portal, but, like, are they of this same caliber? I would say not yet, besides Gavin Cash. Um, Kiki QT, man, he was good. So good. I I do wish he had stayed another year. Um, you talked about Patrick leaving early. A- after he went to the Chiefs, I thought it was the perfect move. Until he went to the Chiefs, I thought he should have come back another year, but that was just such a perfect fit, and I wrote about it even before – it was a perfect fit a year later. Um, Kiki QT, though, was a guy who I thought left early. And, ooh, that was a great block. Was that Derek Willies? Derek Willies. Yeah, QT right now, as this game is being played in 2017, is on the verge of a breakout season, and nobody really knows it yet. Um, so he gets the first touchdown for the Red Raiders tonight. And I think he also scores for Houston the next week, has a great season in conference play. He has a good enough season, obviously, to go get drafted in the – fourth round or wherever he went. Um, but, yeah, I think this was a guy at the time that we're watching this. We don't really realize how good he was about to be this season. But he was a monster. And had he come back, his um, his career numbers would have been up there with some some other guys that were two, three-year starters. Um, he would have been in some pretty pretty credible conversations there. So, selfishly, I, I would have loved another year of QT. But it's also a guy that got hurt his rookie year and – never really came back from that. And so you you wonder if he does come back for another year at Tech and suffers an injury like that, does he even get drafted? So on, on that hand, I'm glad he went and signed an NFL contract when he could. Back to the uh, transfer portal. You, you have gotten more in than I think you're giving him credit for. Uh, Brandon Burtzel was a, a technically a transfer portal addition. Bryce Bonin was a transfer portal addition. Patrick Monteverde. Uh, Andrew Morris here in the comments. Both of those guys last year were transfer portal. Well, well, well time out. Where, where is Morris, Monteverdi, and Birdsell coming from? Lower levels. They're not P5 transfers. Yeah, so I'm talking like Florida right. and Arkansas pillaging you. Like, that's not the same as getting a Juco guy. Sure. It, and I'm, those players are really good that you listed, but they were unproven at this level when they got here. I'm not talking about a guy making the natural – 
progression in his collegiate career. I'm talking about a big time program stealing from another big time program. So that would be Bryce Bonin, but I would say that at the he, time the transfer, uh, Mason Molina certainly more accomplished. Yeah, Bonham was a Sunday guy. Like he was your third best starter. That's not a knock on him. He was a good pitcher, but that's not the same as your ace. There's your boy Tony Jones. Tony Jones. Does he have enough armbands on? Yes. Oh, right up the middle, Tony Jones. Drip God, Tony Jones. Oh, he's got leg bands on too. Did you did you do the calf band? I I didn't. Uh, I didn't in high school. Our high school coach was really strict on, on that. Like he barely let me wear a sleeve on one arm. Um, in college, though, I think I was. In college, I think I had it all. I think I had like, I don't even remember. Everything was taped, wrist banded, arm banded, whatever. I had it all. So you had two possessions through the final uh, or the, the first 11 minutes of the game. And now you've already gotten a three and out and are driving with Texas Tech here in the first quarter. It's seven to three, already on the other side of the 50. It was a really slow start to this game. Cantrell was hard to bring down. He didn't get enough credit for that. He's remembered as a possession guy, but he didn't. He couldn't make anybody miss. But he was hard to hard to tackle. He had that elusiveness. He wasn't really elusive. He was just big and hard to bring down. <laughs> like I don't think he eluded anybody. It was just hard to get him to the ground. He 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 was good at making his shoulder small, though. He got a lot of guys hit him, but didn't hit him square. That's what I was trying to say. Well, he was he was huge too. Yeah. What is his um, co- what is Arizona State coach's name? Todd Graham. Todd Graham. He doesn't have his Britney Spears mic on today. No, I think he's he might be cashing checks in Hawaii right now. I think he already got fired. Oh, jeez. He could be cashing checks though, kind of Charlie Weiss esque. I remember that play, Batson making a grown man kiss the turf. We'll see it on replay here. How did he score right there? He literally made a guy fall over. This receiving core was just disgusting. They were good. So Batson and QT, both NFL guys. Willies and Cantrell both at, were at least like training camp type guys. I think Willies even got some run on uh, some active rosters. Watch this juke move. Oh. Yeah, only one guy's getting blocked out there, but there's three defenders and he still scores. Basically untouched. Well, the guy he makes fall to the ground blocks the other guy. <laughs> Yeah, that was sick. That was amazing. Uh, Coach Gerlich was at the Matadors game tonight. Did the first kick. Uh, led Chance with the Mozos. Look at Cliff right there. I'd never seen him that lit up. This is a great crowd. I said that before, but. Yeah. And everyone's wearing white. See, this is what happens. This is going to be the Oregon crowd. This is what happens when you play big-time teams. And I know Arizona State's not big-time, big-time, but that's what happens when you play Power 5 opponents in the non-con. Yeah. I mean, Arkansas was the same way back in 2014 when you hosted them. They crushed you, but good crowd. And, like, it doesn't have to be 
it doesn't have to be Alabama or Oregon or Notre Dame. Like basically get a power five that isn't, you know, Northwestern or something. And it'll, it'll move the needle for folks. Like even if Missouri or I don't know, somebody like that came, it would, is this big Mike Thomas about to come up with this fumble? Yes, it is. That was like the funniest D lineman celebration. Just taking the ball back to the sideline. Here you go, coach. I've forgotten Mike Thomas. I couldn't remember who that Thomas guy was. Yeah, Mike. Big, big Mike. He had some good plays. Yeah, he was pretty good there in the middle of the defense. What a terrible snap and control there by Manny. He's Love that. funny too. Man, this defense, a little underrated. How did people score on them just at will? The secondary, I guess not as good as the front seven. And you're not deep at all. I just answered my own questions. <laughs> Dakota Allen and Jordan Brooks, they're together. I mean, they should have been better. This team should have won eight games. Yeah, they should have. They they blew a, a big lead in Morgantown against Can't a good team. Fiasco. Yeah. Yeah, I think those are the two that, like – and they were close to Oklahoma State that I think was a top 10 or 15 squad. So, yeah, they they probably should have finished a little bit better than they did. There's your screen game there, Kyle. I'm not sure what we're trying to do there. Not block anyone. <laughs> Throw it at the feet, Shimon. Yeah, like, yeah, what are you doing, Phil Bennett? This is right after the Baylor scandal, I guess. Yeah, 17. Um, anyway, uh, let's talk basketball. Because, Rob, I know you've waited a long time for this, but we have a coaching staff in place. We have a roster in place, and it's it's only July. So how are you feeling? Pretty good. I thought that was going to be a, hey, let's just let's just do it when the season starts. Uh, when school starts, we'll have a complete staff. We'll have a complete roster. But they got it done in July. I'm uh, pretty excited here, ahead of schedule. Yeah, uh, ahead of some people's schedule, I guess. <laughs> I think the fans, like the week gas was announced as the hire, they were like, "Well, who's on the staff?" Like, yeah. And he That's normally what happens. Yeah, on the roster piece, though, I think I, I think I counted it right. I think there's eight guys that weren't on the team last year, and and, and that's a lot. And so on one hand, you know, I'm sure he has a standard and he wants to be picky and say, you know, we're not going to take players unless they're at this level. But at the other hand, like, you know, you can't have nine or 10 scholarship guys. Like you got to fill the roster. So trying to balance that in year one with the wild, wild west of the portal, I, I think he did a good job. I mean, I don't think we landed anybody in the portal that, you know, made anyone nationally go, oh, wow, you know, Texas Tech beat out Kentucky or Kansas for this prospect. But you got a lot of really solid guys that, at minimum, have experience at the Power Six level. Some I'm really excited about the. I I don't have names totally memorized yet, um, but the the kid from Nevada who was Mountain West Freshman of the Year. I think we had, I think we had another conference's Freshman of the Year. No, no, we recruited one from UTA, but he didn't sign here. But anyway, I think a good balance of kind of young up-and-coming talent from the roster last year, Lamar Washington, Pop Isaacs, the Mountain West Freshman of the Year. 
And then some guys that have one year left, they're old. And I'm as many 23-year-olds as you can put on a college basketball roster, I'm all for it. I think that's a winning recipe in today's game. And so year one with, you know, kind of nothing to work with and a lot in flux there, I think he did a really good job assembling the roster. And I've seen national guys like John Rothstein say that this is an NCAA tournament team. I don't know if I agree with that. I've seen fans say that we're a three to five seed. I really don't know if I agree with that. I think some folks might be setting themselves up for disappointment in year one. Yeah. But I think we'll, I think we'll be competitive. Like I'm not going to rule out the NCAA tournament. I think that's a good, reasonable goal. I don't know if like if you gave me even odds, I don't know if I'm saying yes, this is a tournament team, but I also don't think it's some outlandish in the Big Twelve. I know it's weird this year having 14 teams, but you can finish eighth or ninth out of 14 and potentially get in. So I don't think that's crazy. Yeah, we still don't know the exact schedule. Uh, we heard from uh, Mark Finkner about what a schedule might look like, but until we see a schedule, until we see uh, what exactly is going on, I think, you know, it is what it is. And, and if we can have a West Virginia type year that they had last year and kind of get in on our own merits and on the merits of the Big 12, then I'll be happy with that. I'm about to make my graceful one-minute exit, but if you want to bring the folks up to speed on the game and then maybe think of our next topic, I'll be ready with a response to whatever take or question you have when I return. Okay. Or you could do a Rahino ad read and or. All right. We'll figure it okay. out. I uh, did want to mention Joe Toussaint as well. Since the last time we talked, he did commit. Uh, from West Virginia, spent a year in West Virginia – he also was at Iowa for three seasons. Did not start any game. I think he started one game at West Virginia. So he's going to come and play behind Pop Isaacs, play behind some of these guards you have. You have a lot of guards on this roster. I like the roster makeup. Um, it's kind of Baylor-esque. We're guard heavy, but that has worked for Baylor. I'm not saying you're going to be as good as Baylor, but I do believe that you can be guard-oriented in the Big 12 and be successful. Uh, otherwise, it is 21-3 to at the end of the first quarter here. You had uh, Kalen Blage breaking out a little bit. Jay Sean Johnson with back-to-back -back penalties here in the first quarter. But it is 21-3. to And... It was Dylan Cantrell who had a nice catch at the end of the first quarter to get to you to do 21 to three. I did not uh, talk about Rahino yet. You want to do that before we get into uh, some K forward expectations? Sure. Uh, still closed. I believe we need to uh, get a date on that, uh, but the barbecue market, the Rahino barbecue market is coming. Very excited for that. That hit started inbounds. Yeah, did they flag Deshaun Johnson for that? Yeah, he did kind of throw him down, though. <laughs> Whack. Anyways, RahinoBBQ.com. Uh, once they're up and running again, you can order early so you can uh, get over there and get your food before they sell out. RahinoBBQ.com. Best in West Texas for our money. We're about two months from kickoff, and that means folks coming back to Lubbock that maybe don't get to make the trip that often. Rob, we always get asked, where do I need to eat? What's new in Lubbock? Rahino Barbecue. They'll definitely be up and running by then. So if you're here for the weekend, make time to find them. You will not be disappointed.
All right. Uh, so a few different uh, analytical models are coming out preseason. Uh, I believe it was, I sent you a tweet from, oh, what's the guy's name? Brett McMurphy. Brett McMurphy, that Texas Tech was going to be favored in nine games. And then I found the K-Ford realistic expectations for Texas Tech. Uh, they they say that Texas Tech will also be favored in around nine games. Uh, but he has their record at 7.3 and 4.7, 5 and 4 in conference play. Do you want to play guess the line for Texas Tech schedule, or do you just want me to give them to you? Yeah, I'd like to play guess the line. All right, at Wyoming. This one's already published. Wait, are you asking me like what K Ford's line is or the Vegas line? Uh, the K Ford line. Okay, yeah. Uh, so I've already seen in Vegas that it's thirteen or fourteen. So I'm gonna, I guess, guess that his is pretty close there. Thirteen and a half. Versus Oregon in Lubbock. Same deal. I've seen some look ahead. Um, I think right now Oregon minus three or four, and so I'll I'll assume that he's also close there. Three and a half. Yes, that is the. Split decision there, so you're favored in Wyoming, and then Oregon is favored in Lubbock. Tarleton State, I'll just tell you, is minus 47. Okay. I was going to say like 31 or 34. It's hard on those FCS games. Real quick, though, before we get too far, I think if you play a really good game versus Wyoming, that you might be favored against Oregon. Depending on what Oregon does or independent? Well, they play nobody week one, and so I don't think – unless they have some like – terrible collapse but i think if you as a 14 point favorite if you win by 14 i don't think you'll be favored but if you win by 28 in you know kind of dominating fashion and it's not a close game in the second half i think that that could move the line in the game arizona state has scored 21 to 10 i'll also say this i don't think that texas tech will have a bad enough game against wyoming that you'll get more points than four at home. And so I think if you – I'm don't, i not trying to give advice on picks. I never do that. But I would think if you got Texas Tech plus four right now, you probably won't do worse than that the week before the Oregon game. You might be able to uh, do better than that if you're playing the other side. But I don't think you'll get more than four points if you're looking for Texas Tech plus the points. So for whatever that's worth. All right, going into Big 12 play, I already told you you've got five uh, favored games. So we can work with that knowledge at West Virginia. We'll say Texas Tech minus three and a half. K Ford has a minus five and a half. Five and a half. And that is uh, the fourth biggest line. Tied with a couple of others. I shouldn't have said that. All right, uh, Houston. That's a home game. I'll say Texas Tech minus seven. Eleven and a half. Wow, okay. That's a good amount of respect. That's a lot of respect. Uh, At Baylor. In the game, real quick, we're about to go up 28 to 10, and Desmond Nisby fumbled on the one. And so, like I told you before the game, we were six or seven point favorites, and right here is where I'm thinking, okay, first and goal. We're about to blow this open and, you know, good bet. And it kind of turns here, um, makes it a more competitive game. But you were, like, on the verge of a blowout, and Nisby unfortunately lost it going. And they reviewed it and everything, and he he did fumble. But um, 
anyway, sorry. What was the next game after Houston? Uh, Baylor in Waco. I'll say Baylor minus three. Minus two. Do you think that – I mean, obviously all these lines will change before we get there, but do you think that's one of the ones where looking on the road that you might be favored depending on how the season's going? Yeah, I've kind of – as I've been looking at some of the other teams, I, I've sort of put Baylor in the boomer bust category. I think they could be a really good team, and you know they have a favorable schedule in a lot of ways. So that could be a game where they're favored by a little bit more. I, I think you'll be a good team, so I don't see it being more than like – Baylor minus six or seven, even if they're having a really good year. But if they're struggling and, you know, it's determined that they're not going to have a great home field advantage or something, then, yeah, I think that you, you could be a, a narrow favorite in that game. That's one I've looked at that all the analytics have you as an underdog, but that I think by the time it's played, it could flip. Are moving on to Kansas State at home. This one is, I'll, I'll say even. It is even. It's a pick. Yeah, that one's really close. I wouldn't have guessed either team by more than three. So that is uh, that is a pick them there in Lubbock. Kansas State, uh, obviously favored in a lot of their games. They are ranked uh, 26th on offense, according to K4, 28th on defense. Uh, Kansas State, even though it's a pick them, it says Texas Tech has a 52% chance to win. Okay. So you might even get like a minus one there for Texas Tech. If the season started today, if the if the game was this week. Uh, BYU in Provo. See, this one's tough. The analytics are very bearish on BYU, at least a lot of the sources I've looked at. But they're also pegged as one of the tougher road environments, you know, even with Texas and OU still in the conference. And so – like on a neutral field, I think Tech is maybe a touchdown favorite. I don't know how much going to Provo plays into that, though. Um, I'll say Texas Tech minus one. You were closer on the touchdown favorite. It is five and a half. See, I that makes me nervous. Like it, if you gave me that number today, I'm probably taking BYU plus five and a half. Not because I think they're a great team. Like they've got the transition to the Big 12. They lost some key dudes from last year. But it's just that hasn't been a, an easy place for teams to go historically, especially if they're not used to it. So I, that one I'm, I'm a little bit surprised by. Okay, Ford has yet 66% chance there. All right, TCU and Lubbock. Even. Another pick. This one is a little closer at 51%. Um, I – I've been a little bit higher on TCU over the last couple of weeks. I, I think they might be better than I initially thought. I know they went undefeated and, and won the national championship or got to the national championship. Sorry. They did not win. Not even close. But didn't win the Big 12. Didn't win the, the final game of the season. But I think enough's coming back. And I I respect their offensive tackles. And I think that helps a lot, especially in college football. You definitely need an interior offensive line, but I think it's harder to I think it's harder to replicate good offensive tackles than it is to fill out an interior. Yeah, they're another team that I would say is boom or bust. New offensive coordinator. And I was looking back at last year, and I'm not, I'm not trying to diminish what they did because 12-0 is 12-0. and 0. 
Max Duggan, really good quarterback. I think no matter how high you are on Chandler Morris as a passer, like he doesn't have that element of running that, that Duggan had. But the amount of times that that offense was bailed out by Quentin Johnson running in a straight line and just mossing somebody, it, it makes me a little bit skeptical. And they lose him, they lose Kendra Miller, they lose Max Duggan. Now they've got a good tight end. They got basically every backup in the SEC that's looking for more playing time. And so they've got dudes that were talented and highly rated coming out of high school, but dudes that haven't really had enough playing time or, you know, in a starting role or anything like that. So if if they hit on those transfers, they could be really good. If they don't hit on them and Kendall Browse's offense isn't as good as Garrett Riley's and they don't have a guy like Quentin Johnson that, and Max Duggan that can just convert on third and 15 magically, it could go really south for them. So I'm not sure what to make of them. I wouldn't rule out – they're kind of like Baylor in my opinion. They have a wider spectrum of possible outcomes than most teams. Like I think most teams I can pretty pretty firmly grasp where their floor and ceiling is. TCU and Baylor, I'm kind of struggling with that right now. Back in the game, Arizona State, a 99-yard drive, but Texas Tech threatening right back at him. It's 21-17. Uh, Kansas in Lawrence. I'll say Texas Tech minus four. Five and a half. That's a curse number. I think I think the Wells team that lost in Lawrence was five and a half. <laughs> don't, don't say that, Kyle. Well, it, it'll move before then, one way or the other. All right, good. I do not want to go in there with five and a half vibes. That that triggers me. I would not want to play Kansas in the first six or seven weeks, but I still don't think they're deep enough to finish a Big 12 season. Yeah, especially not on defense. Uh, let's see. UCF in Lubbock. UCF, I think – off the field on the recruiting trail is picking up steam. I think they're not getting enough credit for how good they might be three years into the new conference. I'll say Texas Tech minus three. Four and a half. Very close there. Who is that? Who's that? Uh, who's that fullback there? Reed? Mason Reed from uh, Cisco Cisco Junior College or Cisco Community College, whatever it is out there in Cisco. And then the final one, uh, Texas. Texas Tech plus 14. 13 and a half. Yeah. So uh, with the Pickums, even though you're, you're favored in both the Pickums percentage-wise – uh, the Pickums go down as losses, I guess. So it's seven and five, uh, but there are nine games potentially your favorite in going into the season. You got to feel pretty good about that. Yeah, and I'm glad the Pickums are at home. You know, I I think I disagree with some fans here. Like in in the old Big Twelve, you know, like the version of the Big Twelve that was as recent as last year. But when you played round robin, you had Texas and OU either both at home or both away. And usually those two teams were two of the better ones in the conference. And people liked having them at home. And I was – when Texas Tech was trying to rebuild and, like, make a bowl game, I liked having them both on the road because this is kind of Pink Raider of me, but I was kind of, like, chalking those up as L's anyway. 
It's like, you know, you need to win those toss-up games. You need to win the West Virginia, the TCU-type games uh, if you want to make a bowl game. And so I would have rather had those at the Jones than, you know, Kyler Murray as a 13-point favorite. Um, so anyway, having TCU and Kansas State, which the analytics tell you are two of the biggest toss-up games, your Vegas win totals are kind of right. Those are all two other teams that you're kind of competing with for position in the conference. I think it's a great advantage to have both of those in Lubbock. And then some of your some of the teams that are viewed as lesser, like Kansas, BYU, you know, you eat up your road games playing a team that maybe you have a little bit more margin for error against. So I, I like how the schedule shakes out in that respect. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I mean, if you could be favored in nine games and the, the season goes about in that respect, I mean – there's no reason you shouldn't win seven of those nine. Yeah, I think that's fair, especially with as big of a favorite as you're going to be versus Wyoming and Tarleton. Like, obviously, those are two that you're counting on. And even Oregon as a non-conference game, that's, I think, the other one that you're as close to a 50-50 coin toss on per these analytics and the early numbers from Vegas. So your, your three biggest coin flip games are in Lubbock. That, that's to your advantage, in my opinion. Because if you were – if it was flipped and like you had Baylor in Lubbock and Texas in Lubbock, but you had to go to Eugene, to Manhattan, to Fort Worth, I think that the story on your expected win totals from sources like K Ford might be a little bit different. For sure. Tell I'll also making a tackle. I'll also say I think whatever source Brett McMurphy was citing there was a little bit out of pocket because he had Oklahoma State as dogs in ten games. A pump block. You don't see that. You haven't seen that very much in Lubbock the last several years. Is that Dante Thompson? Dante Thompson, the tight end. So we get a pump block here. It's 28-17. There's one minute left in the, in the half, and it looks like we just recovered the pump block in our own territory, So, or in Arizona State's territory. So we might score again before the half here. I can't remember what happens. Weird right. punt formation there. Brett McMurphy's uh, projected games are from at Colin one, the senior writer at action network. Yeah. And see like action is a sports betting website, but so he's got Oklahoma state as dogs in 10 games, but they're going to be favored in their first three or four. So like, how are they? I don't know. That, that just doesn't make sense to me. I, don't or I guess it. that specific example. Because I was like, I mean, I'm not high on Oklahoma State by any stretch, but they're not going to be dogs in 10 games. Like, I would take that prop bet in a heartbeat right now. We parlay this blocked punt recovery into getting sacked, knocking us out of field goal range on first and 10. So this is not trending in the right direction. No. And that was a classic uh... – Shimanek, let's just eat a sack. <laughs> Throw it. Throw it. Throw it. Oh, never mind. I don't know. That that's probably not as fair on Shimanek. Terrence Steele. Jack Anderson, two NFL offensive linemen on this team. Do you feel like we're distracted by the game and it's taken away from the other topics we're discussing? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it's a fun game. We just got called out for that on Twitter. And my, my only I'm, – I'm open to constructive criticism, so I actually appreciate this feedback. My only gripe about this that kind of triggers me is the person providing this feedback 
says that the way they phrase it makes it sound like this is a, a theme or a pattern. But we've only done one rewatch. This is our second. Was it Big Hen? No. It's another one of my favorite Twitter followers. It's a Twitter follower I like much more than Big Hen, that's for sure. Okay. So, not a troll? No, no, definitely not a troll. But maybe maybe worthwhile to uh, keep that top of mind. If, if I have been uh, called out for being distracted uh, a thousand times in my life, uh, then I don't think this matters much because my ADD is uh, prevalent regardless of what we're doing beyond the episode. Fair undiagnosed, undiagnosed ADD. There's Cam Batson putting you back in field goal range. How's that for a trend? Very much so, yeah. We're inside the 15 now. I can't remember if we score here. I just can't remember. Oh, how do you say that last name? I didn't see. I was looking at the ticker at the bottom. It had USF set lines and Marquez Valdez Scantling was on there. A little bit of foreshadowing from this season. All right, what else do you what else do you want to talk about tonight? Because we do have the game on. And there you it's go. Not there. Even, Dylan not even halftime. So um let's kind of have some random stuff. There was a Bill Conley ESPN article. Looking back at some – he does these post-game win probabilities by just looking at the box score. And we knew this last year, but Texas Tech, with its fourth down – with its aggressive fourth down strategy, kept itself in some games and won some games that it would have lost had they gone the conventional wisdom route and punted in some of those same spots or kicked the field goal. The, the most prominent example of this was the Texas game where – Different analytical sources that do these post-game win expectancy calculations gave you like a 1% or 2% chance of winning that game. But because you, I think, converted six fourth downs, you kind of flipped a script in your favor. But anyway, the Bill Conley article just kind of dives into the philosophy behind that strategy and the use of analytics. And in my opinion, Rob, this has been talked about by commentators on broadcasts on, you know, Fox or ESPN as if it's some crazy thing. But if the math backs it up, to me, it's crazy that more teams aren't doing it. And that's sort of what Conley was getting at. Was it like, this is an edge that Texas tech has kind of leaned into before everybody else, but eventually everyone's going to catch up and start equipping the same fourth down strategy. And so this is something that you used to your advantage last year. I think it'll be a smaller advantage for you this year, but two, three years from now, it won't be an advantage at all because everybody will be doing the same thing. And so it also made me think to kind of the leech days a little bit because everybody said that, that, well, you were successful because you were running a system that nobody else ran. And I think that was true. But once everybody got on the, in the shotgun for every snap and everybody in the conference is throwing it 45 times a game, you kind of lose the edge or the benefit of doing that. And Leach, later in his career, took the next step and sort of evolved his defensive philosophy and emphasis. And he still threw the ball a lot. He still had dynamic offenses, but he better complemented that. And I think that's why he started to win a little bit more at Washington State. And, and maybe he was getting there at Tech because his last two seasons, 11 wins and nine wins. Maybe had he stayed here, it would have kind of continued on that same trajectory. But 
all that to say, you had an edge last year, and I commend the staff for finding it and leaning into it hard, not shying away, thinking, well, everybody's going to freak out if we go for it here and miss it. They, they clearly didn't care because you did miss on some of those fourth downs, and they got heat for it. But you also won like three games that you probably would have lost without going for it on fourth down. So anyway, it was kind of cool to see Texas Tech covered in that light that they were doing something innovative that gave them an edge in the game that won you some games you otherwise would have lost in all likelihood. But I guess the, the counterpoint to that is that it's an edge that is now out there, it's public, and everybody else is going to start trying to emulate it. So we'll see how long it can last for you. Yeah, and I think you emulated Baylor. I don't think. I know you emulated Baylor doing that because – you know, you come from that tree and then you bring it over. Um, it had worked for Baylor. It didn't work as well last year. But, yeah, I think I think it's already being emulated, to your point. Yeah, Texas Tech and Baylor were 1-2 in fourth down attempts last year. And I think Joey said, like, we use the same analytics firm that they use. It's what I imagine it's a, a chart or a spreadsheet that says if you're on your own 37 and it's fourth and three, you go. If you're on your own 36 and it's fourth and four, you don't go. And, you know, there's like a there's a box for every yards to gain, every whatever quarter of the game it is down in distance. And they just look at it and say, yes, we're going or no, we're not. Like there's no I don't think there's any gut instinct involved, maybe a little bit like very late in the game or very early in the game. But for the most part, I think they're just saying, hey, if it's fourth and this many or less, we're going. If it's more, we'll punt or field goal, you know, and so. I think that was also a part that was missed last year. Like they're not, it's not a judgment call. They have a spreadsheet. They have math that tells them you, your probability of winning the game goes up if you go for it here, or it goes up if you punt here and they just go by the book. And that's how I play it. Like if you're at a blackjack table, some people go on vibes. They're like, well, do I hit on 16? Do I not? And they change hand by hand. There's a book that, you know, tells you the, mathematical probabilities of how to play each hand. And I think that's basically how they're doing it. And I, I love that. And you're setting it up on third down oftentimes. So it's not like you're just going in blind. All right. It's fourth down. What does the book say? I mean, you're setting it up. You're setting up drives to get there. Yeah. If it's third and eight and you know, we're going for it. If it's fourth and four, well, you can run the ball on third and eight and be fine with fourth and three, fourth and four, if you know, you're going to go for it anyway. Uh, But a lot of teams to your point, Rob are calling, like we need nine yards on third and eight. And that as a defense, that's easier to defend. You know, they call those passing downs and you sub in all pass rushers. You take your nose tackle out of the game. You add an extra DB out there and you play the pass. But if the other team can run it, then, you know, it opens up all kinds of scenarios, makes it harder to defend and allows you to call plays differently on offense. If you know, you're going to go for it. If you get enough yards on third down. What are the odds here? that while we're talking about this, Texas Tech rushing up to the line to go for it on fourth and one, and they're going to run a sweep and get loss of yards. Oh, man. Cliff, no, nobody called the quick run better than Cliff, or more often than Cliff. Better is the wrong word because it hardly ever worked. It never worked. Here's a 40-yard pass play. Run, 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 up to the line, up to the line. 41 base. Stuffed. Here's what I don't get. Like, you have 35 points in the third quarter. Like, your offense is working. Yeah. Just call a play. I mean, you have 35 points at halftime. Like, there's 13 minutes left in the third quarter here. Just call your offense. Yeah, there's no reason to rush up. There's no surprise there. It's fourth and one, Cliff. You're in the, you're in the zone. 
you're at the 30. You're, obviously, you're going to go for it. And Arizona State gets 50 yards on the next play. And we're, we're back, baby. Cliff Kingsbury was so close. He was so close to being a good coach. I, I don't I don't ever think he had the Oh man. He had a really good staff early in his tenure. They were just all too young. If he had that same staff today, they'd be a really good college football staff. But that staff in 2013 was just way too inexperienced. Now, this is obviously a completely different staff in 2017, the game we're watching, but man, that was just brutal to watch. Like, why rush that? Oh, and here's the quarterback running on you. Oh, man, that is fresh. That was classic Cliff. That is classic Cliff right there. Third and, third and nine, you get eight yards. You no huddle. You run a terrible play. Then you give up a 50-yard bomb. And they score four plays later, five plays later. Here comes Kalen Balazs. <laughs> Rob, you and I filled out our Big 12 ballot for yeah. first-team offense and defense, submitted that as our first year doing it. I think we did okay. Will you pull up our ballot, and I'll pull up the official ballot that was released by the Big 12 today? Yes. Before we get there, we want to give a shout out to our friends over at Barnett Howard and Williams Law Firm. You can learn more about them at bhwlawfirm.com. They are based in Fort Worth, three double Texas Tech grads that handle cases all across the state of Texas. If you get hurt at work, if uh, you're involved in a Title IX student litigation issue, they're certified to handle that. Criminal defense, all sorts of things. They hope you never need them. But should you find yourself in one of those types of situations, it's good to have somebody solid in your corner. Barnett, Howard, and Williams can be that law firm for you. BHWLawFirm.com. Rob, I think, so my biggest fear when we did this was that we would be way off. And I know we took it seriously. We put thought into it. But I was like, I don't mind going against the grain. And like, if you think quarterback A is better and I think quarterback B is better, I don't mind making my case. But I was like, if we're too out of step with the consensus, it might look like we're ill-informed or unserious about this. I think it was kind of a good balance. I think we were we, – we hit on a lot of guys that were – that's going on no context. We hit on a lot of guys. Um, we hit on a lot of these selections. That's yes, maybe a better way to say it. I think we did. Uh, there were some differences, and we'll run through those, but I think where we missed it was – kind of like the less prominent positions, like the newcomer of the year, I think is the hardest one to do because it's like the whole point of that award is that the guy's never played in this conference before. <laughs> right. Um, and so like, if you nail the quarterback and the offensive player of the year and you miss the kicker, like to me, that's not one-to-one. -one. Like you get more points for getting the quarterback right, in my opinion. So anyway, I think we were mostly in alignment. I think the ones where we missed or where we were not aligned are, are justifiable and, we either talk through it on the episode where we completed this or we can talk through it now. But I just wanted to run through it real quick and just kind of compare notes on how we did. Because like I said, it's our first time doing it, and maybe we'll get better at this as the years go on. Um, do you want me to start with the offense? Yeah, let's do that. 
So this is the Big 12 preseason media first-team offense. Quarterback Jalen Daniels, who is also preseason offensive player of the year, he was our selection, so we're off to a good start. The running backs on the All-Big 12 team, Richard Reese from Baylor, Devin Neal from Kansas. Correct me if I'm wrong, I think those were our two selections at running back as well, right? They were. In the meantime, Derek Willies just scored to make it 42-24. to 24. And RIP to the underbetters. You should have never bet under in a David Gibbs-Keith Patterson game with Billy Napier and Cliff Kingsbury running the offenses, but somebody has to bet the under, right? Somebody. So fullback, I remember this being a point of contention. We knew our fullback pick was going to miss because we listed another running back, C.J. Donaldson. They put Ben Sinnott from Kansas State, who we talked about. He's a tight end, not a fullback. Yeah, But they they do this sometimes. I think like basically the second team tight end gets slotted at fullback. We put C.J. Donaldson because he's a big power runner. I, I have no issue with this. I, I wasn't really expecting to hit on that one, so – no, and we talked about how they put Ben Sennett on the preseason last year. So we probably could have guessed that, that, that it would have been Ben, ben Sennett again, but is what it is. And he, yeah. does, he plays he plays the H-back. He plays that that role. He's in the backfield. So it is, it is what it is there at, at Kansas State. That offense does look like a fullback there if you're the tight end. Yeah, and I saw some commentary on the, the like, when did Ben Sennett move to fullback? Like, well, he's not a fullback, but – you know, he probably got the second most votes at tight end, and he's yeah. he's worthy of being on this list. Uh, the three receivers, I think we nailed these. Brennan Presley, Oklahoma State, Xavier Worthy, Texas, and Jaron Bradley, Texas Tech. I think those are our three guys, right? Yes, and the tight end. Jatavian Sanders from Texas, also our pick. I think we got four out of five offensive linemen. So the the all-Big 12 team is Kingsley Suamataia. We got him. Cooper Beebe, Kansas State. Kelvin Banks Jr., Texas, Zach Frazier, West Virginia. I think those four were on our ballot, right? Yes. Who was our fifth? Was it the cat from Houston? Yes, Patrick Paul. They had Mike Nowitzki from Kansas on the official one. I think he was in our kind of honorable mention, so I, no gripe there. Um, he was a second-team all-conference guy last year, so that makes total sense. The big kerfuffle here was that Cooper Beebe was not unanimous. And a lot of K-State fans are pissed off about that. I don't know. You know, some of these, like quarterback, you can only name one. I kind of get it. There's five offensive linemen. Like, who had Cooper Beebe as sixth or worse? That makes it, it – maybe it was just an oversight. I don't know. But Yeah. I See, it's that kind of omission that I was like, God, I hope we don't have one of those on our ballot. But rest assured, Cooper Beebe was on our ballot. Place kicker Griffin Kell, TCU, that was our guy. And then the return man, I think we put Matthew Golden, but Phillip Brooks from Kansas State gets the nod on the preseason All-Big 12 media team. And we mentioned him as well. So we missed the fullback, kind of. Yeah. We missed the return man, and we missed one of five offensive linemen. Pretty good. I'd say that's like an A-. minus. Yeah. And Arizona State just scored. Hammer the live over. It's 80-something at this point, but just take it. Okay, defense. We'll start with defensive player of the year, Jalen Ford. That was our selection as well. The other two linebackers, Johnny Hodges, TCU, and Colin Oliver, Oklahoma State. Did we have both of those guys? Yes, but we put Colin Oliver as a defensive lineman. Okay. 
yeah, that was I remember that. He's kind of like a stand up edge guy. Yeah. Um, the five defensive linemen, Dante Corleone from Cincinnati. I know we had him. Ethan Downs, Oklahoma, I know we had him. Jalen Hutchings, Texas Tech, I know we had him. I think the two we missed on, Byron Murphy from Texas and Dominic Williams from TCU, but I don't actually recall who we put in their place. Well, it was Colin Oliver and then uh, Tremont Morris Brash. Yeah, no UCF players on the offense or defense. I was a little bit surprised by that. A little bit, yeah. And no Houston players either. Uh, so we, our two picks from Houston on the offensive side were – Misses, of course, but and those were. I remember saying this: the edge rusher position. You lost a lot of your pass rushing production as a conference from last year. So yeah. Tyree Wilson, Felix, Andy, DK Uzama, Will McDonald, all gone. So I I don't have much of a gripe here because I think this is very open ended. I thought Morris Brash was a good pick, but um, maybe not from Texas though. I I think we had Baron Sorrell as kind of the runner up honorable mention. I. I'm not going to lie. I think we probably would have had him over Byron Murphy. But um, anyway, not not a bad showing there. And I guess because we had Oliver as the edge, we had the BYU linebacker listed on our ballot. He's not on the official ballot. Yeah, Max Tooley. And then the five defensive backs, TJ Tampa. Uh, that was maybe our most notable omission. And it's not because we think he's a bad player. It's because DB seems like him. we talked about him a lot. Yeah, it honestly DB is loaded, and you'll see it. This is probably where we had the biggest discrepancy at a single position group. There were several guys that I thought were worthy of this that made it that weren't on our ballot, and vice versa. So TJ Tampa from Iowa State makes it. He was the Cyclones' only selection. Kobe Bryant from Kansas. I think we did have him. Kobe Savage, Kansas State. I think we had him. Kendall Daniels. We had him. Josh Newton from TCU. We had Bud Clark from TCU. I, yep. I'm a little surprised Josh Newton, not just on this ballot, but also like Dave Campbell's. Josh Newton is kind of, I guess, seen as the better DB in that secondary than Bud Clark. But I thought, I, I guess I'm a little surprised by that. I thought Bud Clark was kind of viewed as the top guy in that secondary. Well, they're just throwing at Bud Clark more. That's why he has better stats. Maybe that's it. So I think we got three out of five DBs there, but again, no, no major grabs. I don't think the guys we listed are unreasonable. Uh, we had Malik Dunlap. I would guess he was probably sixth or seventh whenever they tallied this up. I saw him on several other media members' ballots that published theirs, which, by the way, I think it's good when media members publish theirs for transparency. We did ours kind of for content. You know, it filled an episode, but – like, yeah, when Cooper Beebe isn't unanimous, I think we sort of have a right to know who didn't list Cooper Beebe. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Just my two cents. And I, I think our ballot was close enough that it shows we know who the dudes are in this conference. It's different enough that shows we have some independent thought and we didn't just go chalk on this. Because, like, so the TJ Tampa example is a good if, – if we were filling out the ballot to predict what the final ballot would be, I would have put TJ Tampa. Yeah, I think so. But I, I have no qualms with what we did. We did not even talk about punter. We just put Austin McNamara, obvious homer. If we had talked about it, we would have talked about the Cincinnati punter who ended up on the list. But that is what it is. I think Austin McNamara deserves it, and I have no issues with putting Malik Dunlap on there either. 
I'm pretty sure Austin McNamara holds the Big 12 conference record for average point yardage in a season. But he never gets the preseason uh, accolades. He just doesn't. And there's some good punters. Like, obviously, the Cincinnati guy, BYU has a dude. And so, like, of all positions, it's funny that we caught some flack for punter. But that's not a homer pick. Like, Austin McNamara has a very – like, you could argue nobody's had a better season in the Big 12 punting than Austin McNamara. Well, granted, that was two or three seasons ago, but still. When we do homer picks – it's because we're homers. When we don't have enough Texas Tech, it's because we love Kansas State too much. We can't win there. No, I saw some Texas Tech homer ballots that had – I'm not going to list names, but guys who didn't play football last year on the All-Big 12 team, and it's like, come on. I tried, you tr- I tried, tried to do that. I tried to sneak Cole Spencer in there. We should do that one year, just be like, yeah, this Juco transfer who's starting a left guard for us, All-Big 12. Let's just fill out the Texas Tech too deep next year. True freshman, all Big 12. All Big 12. Um, so, yeah, Mason Fletcher from Cincinnati, the punter. And then the newcomer of the year, Treshawn Ward, Kansas State running back. I can see that. You know, it's a, it's a running back friendly offense. I, I trust Colin Klein. Big shoes to fill there in a, in a metaphorical sense, replacing Deuce Vaughn. But I can totally see him being a productive back for Kansas State. I think we had the Baylor linebacker. But our runner-up was OU's linebacker to transfer from Indiana. Again, newcomer of the year is probably the biggest crapshoot of all of them. Yeah. Um, and where we missed, you know, it was a position group of five defensive back and punter. I thought th- I I thought the Jalen Daniels pick was a little bit bold. I was expecting Quinn Ewers there. Yes. Um, so I, I don't know. I was kind of. And we caught some flack live when we were sorting that out on the episode. They were like, what's with the Kansas love? Because you'll have Devin Neal up there too. So I felt a little bit vindicated that he was named Offensive Player of the Year. Hands down. (laughs) Okay, the third quarter is winding down. Texas Tech 45, Arizona State 31. Arizona State is driving. I don't remember exactly what they do here. Uh, I'm sure they're going to score. I just don't remember if it's a field goal or a touchdown, but they're at about the 16-yard line going in. Do you want to get a mailbag in? Yeah, we've got time. Um, Yeah, I've got other tidbits after the mailbag, but let's go ahead and knock out the mailbag just so we don't go too long. Because how long is this broadcast? Do you remember? Us? Too long? You know, they call them hour-long broadcasts, but I think it was at an hour and a half. Hey, this is 60 minutes of us, Rob. 60 minutes of us. It's beautiful. I don't have my uh, phone in here, but I can pull up the Discord mailbag on the computer. Try not to be distracted. How do you like your hot dogs, Kyle, in the Diversified Lenders mailbag? Do they have options or like what's the? No, it's just how do you like your hot dog? Uh, I like a grilled all beef hot dog on Independence Day. Do you like uh, mustard, mayonnaise, ketchup? If anything, mustard, but honestly, dry. Unless it's like a specialty hot dog and you're putting like queso and like, you know, jalapeno, something like that on it. Yeah. If I'm at my house, it's probably just dry. I'm a dry hot dog guy. I, I never met another dry hot dog guy. Yeah. There you go. Simpatico. 
I mean, I also like the Wabash Cannon Dog, not just because I'm a K-State homer, but just, it looks so appetizing. No, it doesn't. <laughs> um, if, if, if I put anything on the hot dog, it's uh, mustard and uh, raw chopped white onion. I'm not a big raw onion guy, but you know what? Grilled onions, you're hard-pressed to find me a dish that is worse with grilled onions on it. You can put grilled onions on anything. Any sandwich, any pork, chicken, beef, you name it. Grilled Burger. onions goes on anything. Burger. I'm like, down with you on that, too. Very few things. You'd be like, oh, yeah, add some grilled onions to that. And I'd be like, oh, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Almost anything. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I could, I could see it. Have you grilled your onions on the uh, Blackstone? Blackstone yet? No, I need to I need to try that. Yes, you do. Dry hot dog is very on brand for Kyle. What the hell, Rob? <laughs> so the, this like, was like a little brown mustard. But this, I, I I'm not anti dry hot dog. You're a spicy mustard on hot dogs guy, right? Yeah, I like spicy mustard. Still you know, getting to know the gauchos. We've told this story before, but maybe we have new listeners. Rob and I did not know each other before starting this podcast. This was a a case of Kyle sliding into the DMs and being like, hey, I love your Twitter game. Do you want to start a podcast? And I think even before we – it was before we met because I asked you about it the first time I met you. You live-streamed yourself eating eight hot dogs in under five minutes – I think you got it in like three minutes. It was like super, or maybe it was supposed to be five. under 10 minutes and you got it in five. Yeah. Dead five. Um, Kind of a strange beginning to a friendship, Rob. Like I was at the pool and like explaining to my family, oh, I'm watching this guy that I know on the internet, eat as many hot dogs as he can. And they're like, what? Uh, and I was like, yeah, we're, we're about to start a podcast together. So it's, you know, like that made it make more sense. Yeah. So anyway, um, on the topic of how do you like your hot dogs, did you ever have hot dog sandwiches? Oh, yeah. Poverty like, hot dogs. <laughs> slice the hot dog long ways and like put it on a slice of bread? Yeah. I uh, I used that term in front of my wife. She was like, what's a hot dog sandwich? And I was like, well, I made it sound like it was all complicated. I was like, well, you cut the hot dog and then you put it on a piece of bread. And so it's it's kind of exactly like a hot dog. You just yeah, slice just, it for some reason. You just don't have a, you don't have a bun. Yeah. Yeah, if you didn't have buns but you had sliced bread, you made hot dog sandwiches. Yeah. So I I how do I like my hot dogs? I can eat it in sandwich form as well. I'll be honest, there's not a lot of ways I dislike a hot dog. People people don't like ketchup on a hot dog, I would eat ketchup on a hot dog. I if you hand me a hot dog, I'm eating it. I don't oh. do uh ketchup on anything. So are you a sauerkraut guy? No. I didn't assume. That's uh, not a surprise there. Uh, in your opinion, what's the biggest single improvement from last year's team that changes Texas Tech's down-to-the-wire overtime wins into a comfier in-regulation victory? Uh, quarterback? This is a little bit of a cop-out, but passing game. Line? Yeah? Passing game. Total? So I'm looking at some returning production statistics. And first off, you had three quarterbacks last year. All of them started four regular season games. So you could not have had more disruption at the quarterback position than you had last year. 
you lose Weston Wright as a starter on the offensive line, but you add Cole Spencer and Rusty Stotts, I think it's not a stretch to say that with development and with new pieces, your pass protection should be better this year. And that was an issue, especially early in the year, your quarterback was running for his life or just getting flattened in the pocket. And then you return this. I'll have to explain this, but you return 102% of your receiving production. How can you return more than you had last year? Trey Cleveland is the only guy who accumulated receiving yards who leaves and you added Dre McCray in the portal. And so I made up a formula to account for the FCS to power five jump. Basically just picked a number kind of estimating like what amount of his FCS production could he duplicate at the power five level. And I did that for every FCS to power five player. And you total up the receiving yards that everybody who's on Texas tech roster this year had last year. And you have 102% of your receiving yards from last year. If your quarterback stays healthy and your offensive line is better, I think that's kind of how you blow teams out is by moving the ball through the air. And I'm, as you know, Rob, I'm all for running the ball down everybody's throats if we can do it. But I don't think you were a very dynamic passing team last year. You, you kind of had the raw totals and stats because you threw it a lot, but you weren't just like connecting on a bunch of deep shots and, you know, putting up 21, 28 points in the first half, like in a flash, because you have a quick strike offense. I think that could be there for you this year. Like you certainly have the experience coming back to do something like that. And so in those games where you're maybe pussyfooting around with the other team, keeping the game close, if you do have a high octane passing offense this year, maybe some of those close wins can turn into blowouts. I like that answer. And that's basically what I said, but way, uh, way more eloquent. And you actually did your homework. Uh, what three to five songs have to be on your 4th of July playlist? 4th of July by Sufjan Stevens. Sufjan. I did not expect uh, Sufjan Stevens to come up. Do you know that song? I do. It is not upbeat or patriotic at no. all. But uh, Sufjan is, is good. This is a soft J. Is it Suf John? I don't know. I have no idea, but I I know who he is. Give me Fortunate Son by Credence Clearwater Revival. Yeah. You a uh, uh, Lee, what is his name? Lee Westwood? Lee Greenwood. Lee Greenwood. I'm I'm proud to be an American. Proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. You sucking on the chili dog outside the Tasty Freeze? No, but I, I think the reverse criticism from earlier is true. We haven't, we're not giving any updates on the game. We're just talking through the Arizona State's about to tie it up. We're winning 45 38, and they're walking into the end zone right now. There it is. So th- this is where I'm at, Rob. I'm in the stands. I'm like, pregame, six points, hammer that. We're going to, we almost have them in blowout territory twice, and now it's the fourth quarter. It's 21 3. Yeah, it, it's midnight. I'm up in my seat and I'm going, we're going to lose this game. And we should have been up by like 28 at one point. People like so, Which that was the, that was the cliff experience in a lot of ways. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely think you're going to lose this game at this point. Back uh, in real time. In fact, I think they're going to probably go up by two touchdowns here in the final 10 minutes. <laughs> I think you. I guess you end up winning fifty-two to fifty-two to forty-five, 
and so it's a flat seven. So if you got it at six, you would have covered seven, would have pushed. I don't remember exactly how you do it, but yeah, I'm just like, I'm dejected at this point. It's late. And I'm like, I just sat through a rain delay at Chili's. It's past my bedtime. I'm going to watch this blow a three touchdown lead. You know, what are we doing here? Mario says I was still lying to myself at this point. But this game was uh, torturous. It's very torturous. Especially coming off the year before where you, you thought you were going to go down there and win. But, man, you did not. Oh, there's a lot of talent on this team. You just never came together. Uh, let's see. Next question. Have you ever had any firework-related incidents or accidents? No. I'm blessed to say I have not. Were, were you ever a, a firework shooter, or did you just watch the fireworks? No, I actually had this conversation with my wife. I fireworks don't really move, move the needle for me. I'm not going to like actively avoid them, but the people who like pack a lawn chair and then go park like on the street and then walk half a mile to get there two hours early to watch a fireworks show. I, I have no understanding of the appeal there. And so if I see fireworks, great, I'm not certainly not buying my own to shoot off. And I'm also not really making an effort to go see other people shoot them off. I could, I could take it or leave it. I've been a part of a couple of uh, Roman candle wars, but never had an accident. Never had an accident. (laughs) How was that a class? (laughs) (laughs) Because you don't like fireworks? I don't know. I feel like more and more I just don't have an opinion on on some stuff. Yeah. I'm not a fireworks guy either. Well, like fireworks, yeah, that's kind of like a. But people are like great Grandma Castle's first thirty days on the job, and I'm like, you know, we'll see. Like, I, I don't know. To me, until they coach games, they haven't really gotten on the job yet. Hey, real quick, hit the I don't see the appeal, Kyle, sound button. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't real, move the needle for me. Real quick, what? That's how I've learned to phrase things. It doesn't really move the needle for me. Um. Follow us on Threads. I don't really know what Threads is. I guess it's Twitter, but on Instagram. But if you're following us on Instagram, you need to create a Threads, and it should follow us. But anyway, I'm on, I'm on here in case uh, Twitter goes away, I guess. We don't really plug our other social channels that much. We plug YouTube a lot. Yeah, follow us on Instagram, too. Yeah, follow us on Instagram. Subscribe on YouTube. Threads. Facebook. We got it pa- all. Patreon.com slash gambling gauchos. Anyway. If you were forced to limit your beer consumption to a single style, what would you choose? Dos Equis. Is that a Mexican lager? Yeah. Is that what you would choose? Yeah, like a light Mexican. Light beer is what I would choose. Yeah. Whatever it is. Light beer. And I... uh I refuse to take any crap on that. That's what I like. Uh, Start bench cut tanning options. SPF 50, butter, or Crisco? I believe this is for you, Kyle. Crisco sounds like not a good idea at all. So I'll cut the Crisco, bench the butter, start the SPF. I feel like there's some uh, 
maybe misinformation out there that you don't apply sunscreen. Do you want to clear that up or do you just want to leave it out there in the ether? Somebody's listening to this and they're like 80 minutes in. And they're like, is a podcast host really about to clarify his stance on sunscreen? <laughs> Welcome to the offseason, folks. Texas Tech in the red zone. Dylan Cantrell catches one on the edge of the end zone. They're going to call it no catch. I think, unless this touchdown already happened, I think we run it in with Cantrell. I think okay. we do a little end around and he runs one in for a score. We've got two minutes left. I'm not going to make you talk about sunscreen again. No, all so I've read some. You've done your own research? No, I've read the research that other people have conducted. Um, and Desmond Nisby gets down to about the three there. I think we're going end around to Dylan Cantrell to win this thing. I could be wrong. Um, the article that I read kind of compares the – use of sunscreen today to the use of margarine back in, I think the seventies when the scientific consensus was that butter was awful for you and margarine was a healthy replacement for it. And many years later we realized that margarine actually wasn't so healthy for you and that you might actually just be better off with butter. The idea with sunscreen obviously being that the sun can damage your skin, cause skin cancer, things like this. And so, yeah, Cantrell's right here at the H-back, end around, over the top and in. On third down. Yeah. Um, and so what I read was that exposure to the sun is a good thing because it's very hard to get vitamin D, which is a nutrient that you can get from sun exposure. It's hard to get that through diet. But people who are kind of religious about sunscreen, they block out the sun entirely and don't absorb any vitamin D when they go outside. And so this article actually argues for limited sun exposure without sunscreen, you know, 30 minutes a day, something like that, but warns against people that, so like in modern, when our ancestors lived outdoors, you know, before permanent shelter, they were exposed to the sun all the time, but we live indoors. We work office jobs indoors. And then after not being exposed to the sun for a year, we go on vacation to Florida and get zapped. And that's, that's a really bad. So I don't advocate for like not wearing sunscreen in a scenario like that. If you're going to be out for several hours, you should wear sunscreen. But if I'm mowing the lawn or going to the pool for like an hour, I usually don't wear sunscreen except maybe on my back. Cause I've, I get very severe sunburns there. So I think that the pros of vitamin D absorption through sun exposure outweigh potentially negative side effects of exposure to the sun. Good. I'm glad we did that. And I have all kinds of data on this. If you, if you want to see it, I could send you the article, just DM us. Please. That's my stance. And I get trolled because people don't take the time to read the article that I send them or listen to what I say. And so they intentionally misconstrue my position and then, call me a hypocrite for wearing sunscreen when I go to the beach, but never who does that? Who would do that? Kyle. All right. Sam Khan mentioned that he doesn't totally keep up with sports outside of his main two. Since y'all have started this podcast, have you ever hit that level and feel the need to turn off sports for a while and get away? Yes. 
when I was working full time at the radio station and doing this podcast, uh, I was very burnt out from sports. And sometimes hey, is that, is that Groovy Girl? Is it? I no, think it was. There's no sign there. Well, it was raining though. It probably got her, ruined. Yeah, her signs probably got ruined. I think that was her. She'll be happy if she's listening. Shout out to Groovy Girl. Anyways, yes, I've uh, been burnt out from sports. I just like to be a fan sometimes. Oh, of course, Steven Stevens uh, chiming in that it uh, definitely was. He 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 would recognize her anywhere. I have, I've not gotten to that point, but I've um, have evolved as a sports fan. So, like, I used to consider myself a pretty big basketball fan. I I cannot make myself care about the NBA, like. I just can't. Whereas college football, like it's an unhealthy live and die by the result of the. And so I I feel like my preference between sports has changed, but I've, I think doing the podcasting actually, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to watch Texas tech as a fan now. Because I feel like I'm analyzing everything instead of just kind of like enjoying it or taking it in. Yeah, you got to get your takes ready for. Yeah, like I'm trying to notice if there was a good play or a bad play. I'm trying to notice what exactly happened and like thinking about personnel decisions and stuff. Whereas, which like every fan does that. Like, oh, well, we shouldn't have gone for it there. We should have thrown it there. But um, so I guess that's changed how I watch Texas Tech. But I also think I've developed a greater appreciation for just like the sport of college football as a whole. And so like I can watch other conferences without having a dog in the fight and kind of just appreciate it. And like, I see a lot of tech fans or like big 12 fans like trash the big 10 and they're like, Oh, it's boring football. Like who cares about those schools? But I guess I don't have that same resentment. Like I, I just like the sport. And so I, I enjoy watching Wisconsin versus Penn state for no reason. And maybe that's weird, but but no, I so in the offseason now, like I'm watching a little bit of MLB, but when NBA was on, I didn't watch it. When NHL was on, I didn't watch it. So I'm actually watching reruns of college football, like when I know the outcome. And so no, I think it's actually made me kind of watch more college football, but less of other sports. But no, I've never, I haven't gotten to the point yet where I just say, like, oh, I don't want to watch any sports. I need to step away for a week. It's, especially now, like, we're two months out and I, I can't wait. So I'm watching old games. So kind of the opposite for me. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> this band is overrated. Start bench cut. Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, or The Doors? And The Doors. I would say Pink Floyd is the most overrated. So I guess I'm starting them as most overrated. Benching the doors and cutting Led Zeppelin. I don't think Led Zeppelin is overrated. I think they're properly rated. I think I'd probably flip the doors and Pink Floyd, but I think Zeppelin certainly is getting cut from that scenario. And the final question, are we good with the Nick Shimanek stat line for Tyler Shuck this year? 66% completion. 3,900 yards, 33 touchdowns, 10 INTs. Hell yes. Yes. Hell yes, I'm in for that stat line for Tyler Shuck this season. Because, do you know why, Kyle? Because it means he played in at least 11 games. 
Unless he does that in eight games, then it would be even better. Yeah. That's exactly right. And this where again, I don't think Shimanek, like I was saying at the top of the episode, I don't think he's properly appreciated because we have not had a quarterback or a quarterback room collectively put up a season that good since then. And if it weren't for the greatest player of all time playing right before Shimanek, it would have been even further back until we saw a season that good. So, yeah, I think you take that for sure. That was the Diversified Lenders mailbag. Give some more tidbits. Uh, the game is over, by the way. Uh, Texas Tech forcing a fourth and 30 on Arizona State's final drive. They throw it down the field, miss, and then uh, Texas Tech kneels it out and finishes the game under center. We scored the game-winning touchdown from under center. Yes, with uh, Dylan Cantrell running uh, in ground. I guess I have one final thought and it stems from about this time a year ago rob i'm gonna see if i can find the the tweet oh is it uh from wilner no it's actually not oh pack 12 related although that it is the one year anniversary of them starting their process of yeah um expect it to be done in days if not weeks Weeks, if not days, John Wilner said a year ago today. How have they not figured out? September. Oh, my God. Quit publicizing deadlines. For real. We have a, a Twitter follower that has compiled a list of every deadline they've given. And it was like, depending on when they said it, it was like in two weeks, next month, very soon, by Pac-12 Media Days last year, by the start of the season, by Christmas. But like, how have they not learned by now? Quit telling us when the deal is going to be here because obviously it's not. It's not. All right. Didn't mean to distract you there. That's okay. So at the end of... July last year, there was a person employed by a Big 12 football program who went on what I think was a little bit of a strange Twitter rant about how the Matador Club news that every Texas Tech football player was going to be paid $25,000 a year was actually a bad thing and that it I think these tweets have been deleted because I, I can't find them. I was trying to pull them up. Oh, here they are. Well, the thread isn't here. Oh, here's the thread. Okay, we got it now. I'm just going to read the whole thread. And I'm going somewhere with this, by the way. I'm not just bringing up cactus stuff for no reason. Okay. Y'all really got to stop romanticizing what appears to be, quote, unique NIL deals. While they waive what appears to be a big number, I urge you to ask these schools to quantify your brand potential as an individual entity separate from the university in the same market. Thinking emoji, light bulb emoji. He really thinks he's onto something here. This is a direct subtweet to Texas Tech. Every Texas Tech player walk on Anscosha making $25,000 a year. 
Then and maybe then you'll get the real truth. Don't make a life-altering decision over donut seeds. Now, this is what I think is interesting. First off, this guy presumably is making like low six figures. He was director of recruiting. I'm imagining that goes for, I don't know, 200000 He has a button on his Twitter profile where you can send him a dollar to his Venmo and he's ragging on 19-year-old walk-ons for making donut seeds of $25,000. I don't know about you, Rob. If I was making $25,000 in college, would not have called that donut seeds. Would not call what anybody is making, no matter how much it is, donut seeds, if I'm begging people to hand me a dollar or five dollars at a time on Twitter. He goes on, an extra 2 k a month ain't maximizing off your NIL. It's a glorified stipend check with a gif of a woman saying, period. The reality is that extra 2K isn't going to be a concrete. I think there's a typo here. The reality is that that extra 2K, it's going to be a concrete ceiling for most players in scarce markets that are oversaturated with 85 scholarship players attempting to, quote, build a brand in a desert. Sick face emoji, cactus emoji. Here's what's funny. In a college town like Lubbock, when Texas Tech is the main ticket, that actually, in my opinion, maximizes. That would not be an oversaturated market. But if you went to college, say, in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, and you're in the same market as Dak Prescott and the Dallas Stars and Luka Doncic and the starting third baseman for the American League All-Star team, that would be a little bit harder to – Harder of a market to emerge from while you're in college. He continues, have you considered what will happen to your brand in the market when you've exhausted your eligibility and no longer have a name and number attached to your back? Now, of course, NIL, pretty new phenomenon. But there were Texas Tech athletes who played before NIL that after leaving this oversaturated market in the desert did okay for themselves with their name, image, and likeness. I'm thinking the guy like uh, two-time Super Bowl MVP Patrick Mahomes has his own brand with Adidas, one of the richest players in the NFL. Basically, name is price on endorsement deals, right? Yep. Is the market sufficient for you to continue to monetize your name, image, and likeness after your career, or is it reserved to the 85? That's a hashtag. Hashtag reserved to the 85. Devil face emoji. Can you live in there? Start a family there? Grow a business there? The days of a head coach promising to simply make some phone calls are over. Mic drop. So we rehashed all of this last year and went through the points of why that was stupid and that you can actually um, build pretty good brand for yourself in a college town with a rabid fan base that is notably loyal. And in the early days of NIL, I think we've actually seen Texas Tech provide NIL in a way that is more innovative and sustainable than other programs. Now, no matter where you go to school, if you're like a Nigel Pack, you know, that was a big story when he got the bag from Miami, he could have gone anywhere and gotten a bag. But like, if you're number 42 on the roster of 85, are you going to get a bag? Probably not. Anyway, fast forward to this year. This is from On3NIL, and they do a great job covering NIL, this is a new kind of component of college athletics. 
On three NIL reports, Texas Tech quarterback Tyler Shuck and wide receiver Jaron Bradley have signed partnerships with NIL leaderboard. Each athlete stands to make six figures from the deal, according to their NIL agency. So I think the term used in the thread last year was concrete ceiling. And can you build a brand for yourself beyond the, quote, glorified stipend checks? Let's say these guys are making like the minimal amount at six figures on these NIL deals. That's 100K plus their donut seeds. That's 125K. Do you think they're doing okay for themselves building a brand in the desert? And do you feel like they've busted through that concrete ceiling or is it more likely that that concrete ceiling never existed and this employee of a Big 12 institution was maybe just making stuff up on Twitter to negative recruit because TCU couldn't keep up with the baseline NIL infrastructure that was available at Texas Tech? There were a few TCU uh, baseball analysts tweeting today about what is going on in the transfer portal at Texas Tech. All of the TCU commenters were saying, have you seen Lubbock? Have you been to Lubbock? All of this stuff. So I think that's just a mind virus there in Fort Worth. Uh, Sarlus has given it to his daughters uh, as referenced on the television during a game that didn't even involve Texas Tech, negatively recruiting Texas Tech. So, yeah, I do think it was the latter of your answers, that it's just – a uh, member of a Big 12 institution that doesn't know what's going on here. What's also funny to me about this is perspective I did not have a year ago. A year ago, I was a proud resident of Lubbock. I lived in Lubbock for a little more than a decade. Loved every second of it. As you know, Rob, I love Lubbock. I love West Texas. I moved to Fort Worth because I like the city better. Not necessarily. My career took me here. I had a good job opportunity that I'm thankful for. And I leapt at that opportunity when I you know, felt like I was still young enough to make a move like that. Well, one thing I've learned about Fort Worth, Rob, and I'm not necessarily saying I agree with this, but this is just something I've learned while here. Residents of Fort Worth have a gigantic little brother complex for or toward Dallas. They are so afraid of being Dallas's redheaded stepchild and living in Dallas's shadow and being a bedroom community to Dallas that they have the gall to do a 180 and talk about how bad life is in another city. I'm like, guys, you're not very proud of or confident in your own city. And I like living in Fort Worth. I think it is a good city. I don't think they should be jealous of Dallas or have this inferior inferiority complex toward Dallas. But it's just funny to see people flap their gums on Twitter about how great it is in Fort Worth when like I live here, I work here and the, the nature of the work I'm in, I'm kind of with um, community leaders, people that are like active in the community. And I know that they're not super uh, secure in what Fort, Fort Worth is as a city. And again, I don't, I'm not saying I agree with them. I don't think they should be insecure. I think it's a good place to live and work. It's just funny. Like, when I lived in Lubbock, if I was going to talk crap about Stillwater or something, which I don't think I really did, but then turned around and was like, yeah, but Lubbock is kind of a dump. And like, it would be so much better if I didn't live in Lubbock or if we had this or that, it would be a better city. Like at least if you're going to pound your chest about my city is better than yours, believe it when you log off Twitter 
I mean, you're hanging out with your friends who live in Dallas, but that's not how most of the people are here. They're like very insecure about the Fort Worth versus Dallas dynamic, but then they'll go and pound their chest about how great their city is and how much worse it must be to live in West Texas. I've lived in both places. I've enjoyed living in both places. So I think that's, I think that's funny. And I also, never mind. I'll leave it there. I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> That's all I got then. That's my final thought. You were lied to on Twitter if you were, or on your recruiting visits, if you were told that uh, making the Matador club money was going to kneecap your other NIL opportunities. I know that other guys have deals beyond the Matador club. Matador club is a good start. It's a good baseline. And then if you're that dude, you can go make six figures on top of that. Can you do that? At TCU, I don't know, because I don't know if they have anything like the Matador Club. You said they have concrete ceilings, Kyle? No. I, I don't know. <laughs> All right. That was the Gable and Gaucho. Is another episode down. Uh, again, as we said earlier, go follow us on threads, follow us on Instagram, subscribe on the YouTube channel. We're everywhere. Um, we will continue to do these throughout the summer. We also have some interviews coming up with some uh, local media members and some more national media members as we go around the Big 12 for the Big 12 tour. Up next, I believe, is Kansas State. Baylor. Sikkim. So we'll have, uh, we'll have somebody on from Baylor as well. All right. That's all I got, Kyle. That was 101 minutes of us. We probably took some listeners somewhere they didn't want to go when we were talking about sunscreen, but that's all right. Probably so. That's all right. Love y'all.